Hello, folks, and welcome to another episode of the Military Influencers Conference podcast. This episode is with Emily Nunez Cavnis. She is the CEO and co-founder of Sword and Plow. Now, she is providing the first keynote at the 2017 Military Influencers Conference, and she's introduced by Mike Kelly of USAA. Enjoy. Some. What? What? Oh, let me just stick this here over top of that screen. I love the common themes that are coming through. So hearing from Judy and all about relationship and Fred talking about mill blogging. I mean, that's really where we got our start. And this is really an absolutely amazing gathering of really, really smart, creative, passionate, talented, engaged people. And like Fred said, you're influencers. If you are here, you are an influencer. You may be just beginning your journey, but you are an influencer nevertheless. So it's really a blessing for me and, and so exciting to see so many familiar faces that I've known over the years. I see Tom sitting back there. Tom and I first met each other when he was at military.com. How long ago was that? 10 years? At least, at least that long. So what you're participating in and contributing to is really nothing short of amazing. So if you look around you, these are the movers and shakers. I think Judy actually used that terminology, the movers and shakers in this space. Uh, and these are established business leaders, up-and-comers, Shark Tank survivors, right? The combat flip-flop guys here, right? Somewhere. Nice. Shark Tank winner. Uh, government advisors, corporate executives, CEOs, COOs, authors, publishers, bloggers, uh, and bourbon distillers. That's, that's pretty unique. I think we're going to get some of that tonight, right, Eric? America. All right. So you better have your networking game on. And Judy had very, very good advice. She used that term often, relationship, right? So it's not just about collecting the cards. It's about what you can do to help others. So this is a very serious gathering where the next person you meet could be the one that connects you to that opportunity to complete the circuit, to power whatever it is that you want to do uh, as an influencer. So I've been in this business, this space of bloggers, uh, content creators, content curators, uh, influencers, entrepreneurs for like 15 years. I've been at USA 14 years now, uh, and I have never seen something come together so quickly with so much energy, never. So big round of applause to Cortez. Absolutely. Uh, I think you'll all agree that there is a certain amount of energy, a current kind of a magnetic attraction, if you will, something drawing all these amazing like-minded community entrepreneurs together. And all you really have to do is look at the Whova. That is a way cool app. Whoever created that is just brilliant. Uh, look at the energy and the conversations that are going on in there. Uh, and I like to think of it as uh, Field of Dreams. Remember Field of Dreams with Kevin Costner? Remember what Ray Kinsella, he kept hearing and seeing these things. If you build it, he will come. People are going to come, Ray. People are going to come, Cortez. That's what they're telling you. Go the distance. Well, in this instance, Cortez really did go the distance. He had a vision. He pursued it. And like Fred said, he came to me with this opportunity. And I said, dude, you don't even have to ask. We're in. Because we've been involved with this from the very beginning at, at the mill blogging. So I've been watching it happen over the last year, remarking, uh, remaking what actually began as that military blogger aggregator website way back in 2005, the mill blogging website. Anybody remember J.P. Borda? 
JP is the one who actually created that. Kate, Kate knows. She's been around a long time. Paycheck Chronicles. Everybody familiar with Paycheck Chronicles? Good job. Um, how many remember when military.com uh, bought that and we created the Mill Bloggies? Fred mentioned the Mill Bloggy Awards. So I'm going to throw a couple of blogs at you. Trip down memory lane here. See if you remember some of these classics. These are your predecessors. As Fred said, these are the ones who created this community uh, 10, 15 years ago. They're the change agents that really uh, are growing and helping us to grow. So trip down memory lane. Anybody remember Black Five? I'm still Facebook friends with that guy. How about Boston Maggie? Little Witty Secret, or Witty Little Secret, sorry. Uh, Castle Arg, and you have to say it like that, Arg, Castle Arg. Army Wife Toddler Mom, Bo Hammer. Is Wendy here, My Military Life? Wendy Poling, is she here? And I know Star is here, Starlet Henderson. Army Wife Network, one of the classics. A Soldier's Perspective, this ain't hell, but I can see it from here. That was a good one. The Mudville Gazette, Sink House, and The Guard Wife. So now that we've looked back, it's clear to see, as Fred mentioned, that this whole community has morphed into something completely different. It's more than just people wanting to share stories about their lives and what they're doing uh, in their military careers. So let's look ahead. As Judy said, she asked the question, why are you here? Well, I dare say that you're all here for many, many different reasons. Just starting a business, just sold a business, just wanting to grow your business, just curious what all the excitement is about or just wanting to grow your network. It really, really does not matter. There is enough expertise and energy here for all of us. And like I said, Cortez and his team have done a fantastic job of building a very wide variety of sessions to lift us all up and give us a healthy dose of practical tools and powerful inspiration. I mean, Judy got us started off well. I mean, actually, Bethany got us started off well. Lots of energy already, so I hope everybody is excited about being here today. And USA is very, very proud to be the presenting sponsor of this. And like I told Cortez, we'll be here for you because this is important. It's important for corporations and companies. And Fred, thanks for your support and all the other sponsors for being here because this couldn't happen without corporate sponsors and people who are willing to take a chance and invest in something that is more important than themselves. All right, so I know Cortez is getting nervous. Mike's talking way too long. He's supposed to introduce Emily. All right, but there are some important things I want to share real quickly. So, like Judy said, think about this differently. Consider in this room for the next two days your opportunity to move people through what I call the relationship funnel. How many marketers in here? You're familiar with the, the marketing funnel, right? Big at the top, skinny at the bottom. Awareness, consideration, deepening purchase, right? But think about this as the relationship funnel. Look at it a little differently. It's a big relationship funnel and everybody here fits into four categories, right? And you have a chance to change what category those people are in. So they're either a stranger, an acquaintance, a friend, or family member. It's, it's that simple. All those labels come with different benefits, right? You wouldn't expect a complete stranger to give you all their business contacts or the secrets of their success, right? That's crazy. But as Judy said, as you nurture and grow that stranger to an acquaintance, then a friend, you're moving them through that funnel, that relationship funnel for a completely different effect. So think about that for a minute. You want to move people through that funnel for a specific action. Whatever it is, whatever you're here for, your job is to move people through that relationship funnel. Is it to gain new business? Maybe. Make connections, help somebody succeed in an area that you've already had success. Maybe you just don't want to see people make the same mistakes that you've made. That's 
an admirable admirable goal. And it's all about relationships. So who do you call when you have a problem? You don't call a stranger. You don't call an acquaintance. You call a friend or a family member, right? So acquaintances are far better than strangers. And friends are far sweeter and more loyal than acquaintances. And building family, guess what, requires time, effort, relationship, and resources. It's giving your time, your talent, and your treasure. And it's an investment that does pay dividends. It really does. Okay. Enough for me. Like I said, Cortez is probably going, come on, Mike, we're running behind schedule. All right, so Emily, where are you? Start warming up. Start standing up and get up here. So I had the pleasure to meet Emily Nunez Cavanis last night. What a wonderful human being. And so I live in a house full of women. So for sure, I've already signed up for the email, and I will be shopping online at Sword and Plow for uh, Christmas time. So Emily is a U.S. Army captain. Uh, and she is the CEO and founder of Sword and Plow, a veteran-owned, socially conscious fashion company. I love that. Socially owned fashion company uh, that repurposes thousands of pounds of military surplus into stylish bags and accessories. Um, Sword and Plow works with U.S. manufacturers that are veteran-owned or partially operated. And this is the wonderful thing. It's the giving back part. They give back 10% of their profits to veterans initiatives to help people like you and others who are serving their country. So they were named the top 20 most inspiring companies of 2014 and one of the 50 coolest new businesses in America by Business Insider in 2015. So this is actually very nifty. I'm, I'm an Air Force guy, so you know the Air Force is the more corporate of all the military services, right? So Emily's done far more dangerous and, and exciting things than I have as a military public affairs guy. So she graduated from Airborne School. In the Air Force, we don't jump out of perfectly good airplanes. That's, that's what the Army does. Uh, she served in the 4th Engineer Battalion and the 10th Special Forces Group. She deployed to Afghanistan and was one of the first 100 women to try out for the U.S. Army's Ranger Training Assessment Course. Hoo-ah. That is awesome. She earned her B.A. in International Studies from Middlebury College. She is a White House Champion of Change and Forbes 30 Under 30 Fellow. So, fellow influencers, please help me welcome Emily Nunez Cavanis. Thank you, Mike. Well, Mike, thank you very much for that, that awesome intro. I am so happy to be here and so grateful to, to be surrounded by all of you incredible people. I think that's really the best thing about conferences like this. I, when Cortez asked if I would be the, a keynote speaker, you know, you have to, there's kind of a lot that goes into the thought process for that. And the first thing that popped into my mind was, Oh my gosh, yes, definitely. I would love to be in a room surrounded by all of you. And the second part that's really wonderful about talks like this is because they really force you to slow down. And I know we all lead really busy lives. I think I've been on six different trips in the past month, then along with just the regular workflow. It is so nice to be able to slow down, take a deep breath, and just reflect. And so I started thinking back about Sword and Plow's journey and my journey and, and where this all began. And it really began about 28 years ago when I was born at West Point when uh, my dad, <laughs> woo, um, then Captain Joe Nunez, now Colonel retired Joe Nunez, was teaching political science and coaching soccer there. And my mom, Judy, was 
was raising and taking care of my, my sister Betsy, who's here with me today, um, and myself. And she also started her own business there called Hidden House, where she found and sold really unique products. So I have so much respect for, for veterans and military spouses alike. Um, and I also thought back, you know, what were some of my earliest memories that really kind of shaped me? And those range from growing up and, and feeding the army mules at West Point to playing with my sister, uh, meeting cadets, and, and sharing a lot of holiday meals with soldiers. So later, we moved to Fort Leavenworth, Kansas, where my, our younger brother Thomas was born, Fort Drum, New York, and then finally Carlisle, Pennsylvania, where I spent the majority of my childhood. Um, and, you know, I, I really grew up surrounded by men and women like you, men and women who are smart, really brave, and selfless. And I remember when I was five years old, my dad re returned home from a humanitarian deployment in Haiti. And I remember welcoming him and his battalion home in the dead of winter in Fort Drum, New York. And my mom, my brother, my sister, we were all there. And one of the most memorable moments from that was when my dad came and he was hugging us all, and my younger brother, Thomas, who I think was two at the time, looked up at him, and his expression, we have a photo of it, it just looked as if he was saying, who is this really tan man hugging my mom? And at first I thought it was kind of funny, but then it made me realize just how much this community sacrifices service members and military spouses alike, and um, that was really formative for me. And later, when I was five, I saw my uncle and uh, Marine Colonel Ken Cameron um, at Cape Canaveral launch the Atlantis space shuttle as its pilot. And so I grew up with, with this community, and you all inspired me to want to serve in the Army. Um, and I really learned a lot through this community about community and its importance, and that has been a theme that has resonated with me throughout my entire life, and especially at Sword and Plow. So later, once I grew up, uh, I went to Middlebury College, which is a, a really small liberal arts college in Vermont with about 2,500 people. And for several years, I was the only ROTC cadet on campus, which was a pretty interesting experience. And I wouldn't have it any other way. I had a great education there. And had a lot of experiences that really formed the idea for Sword and Plow and, and why we did it. And so one of those examples w happened uh, during my freshman year. So I, I went to Middlebury, but I did ROTC at the University of Vermont, which was about an hour north. And so it was about 5 a.m., and I was in my ACU digi uniform walking to the freshman parking lot in order to get up to Burlington in time for my class so I wouldn't be late. And I was in my uniform and boots walking across campus. The freshman parking lot was locate, is located right behind the fine arts building where a lot of plays and, and theater stuff happens. Um, and so I was walking really quickly trying to get to my car and all of a sudden I walked past that fine arts building and this upperclassman walked out. He walked towards me. He was like, hey! what play are you in? I've never seen you around here. I was like, what the heck is he talking about? And then I was like, oh, he thinks my uniform is a costume. 
<laughs> and so I didn't have a lot of time, but I quickly explained that this was, in fact, a government-issued uniform for our Army ROTC and not, in fact, a costume. Um, but it was nice to meet him. And so, you know, having grown up on, on or around military posts my whole life, this was really my introduction to the civil-military divide. And there are countless other situations I can tell you about, about that. But what that made me realize is that there was a need to strengthen understanding between these communities and start meaningful conversations that go well beyond thank you for your service and really enable people to get to know one, each, one another on a, a human and real level. So about two years later, I attended the US Army Airborne School. And I was so excited to go because I realized well, I had been training alongside cadets and I had amazing ROTC instructors, but this was really the first time I was going to be able to train alongside soldiers as a, as a cadet and soon-to-be officer um, versus, you know, a military kid. And I just loved waking up really early to do the airborne shuffle and to fall over and over again on my side during the, the PLF training and, you know, to finally get at to get to jump out of the C-130 after waiting for so long in the shoot shed. I'm, just, I'm sure some of you can, can uh, empathize with that. <laughs> but one of the most memorable experiences I had there, besides jumping out of the plane, was a conversation I had during one of those moments when, when we're hurrying up and waiting for so long. And it was when a soldier was telling me that he wanted to get out of the military in a couple years, but he was really concerned about that because some of his friends who were veterans were having a hard time finding meaningful jobs. And at the time, I was shocked. I really didn't even know what to say because it bothered me that a group of people and someone who had sacrificed so much and proven himself as a problem solver and a leader and someone who was so committed would even have to worry about that. And so that really stuck with me. And um, so fast forward about a year and a half and I'm back at Middlebury College. It's my senior year in January and uh, our college had just opened up a new so center for social entrepreneurship and, and Jacqueline Novogratz, uh, the founder and CEO of Acumen was speaking. So I just walked in there with a friend who, who wanted to go and as she was talking, she spoke about a business that had incorporated uh, recycling into its uh, food business model. And the way she described it just immediately made me reflect on my own life and think, you know, what in my life is sometimes discarded that could be turned into something really beautiful with a, with a purposeful mission? And having grown up with a military logistician as a dad, I immediately thought about military surplus and how durable it is, and what a unique, unique story it has. And then I couldn't get my mind to stop running. I really wanted to pay attention to the rest of her speech, but I was just going 100 miles an hour thinking, OK, well, what, what could we turn it into? And I looked around the room, and everyone had a bag of some kind next to them. And I thought, how awesome would it be to turn th this material into really durable bags that that anyone would want to carry and that could start really meaningful conversations between these communities. Um, and so I told my, my boyfriend at the time, now husband, Cully, who was sitting next to me about it, and he, he thought it was a really good idea. And so I was excited. And 
I put the idea in, in the back of my head for about a week. And then my sister Betsy, who was living in Boston at the time, came up to visit me. Uh, and we were in Burlington just catching up and having lunch. And I casually told her about the idea. I said, you know, what, were you, what would you think if I were to turn one of my tents into, into a bag? And she was so enthusiastic. I had never seen her that excited about something. And there was a lot more to it, but I just kind of wanted to open with that. And then she just started kind of pummeling me with questions. Like, well, what would it look like? Who would make it? Um, do I get one? <laughs> <laughs> And we just had so much fun brainstorming all of the possibilities. This one-hour lunch turned into an eight-hour lunch. Eventually, we made it back to Middlebury at my apartment, and we started taking some of my ROTC gear and matching it up against our, our existing purses to see if it would even look good. And we were just so excited. And to be honest, and a lot of people told me this too, there were a lot of reasons why why we could have told our, ourselves not to pursue the idea. You know, I was a senior in college. I was writing my thesis, and I was about to commission as a second lieutenant. And in a few months, I'd be attending the military intelligence basic officer leadership course in, in Fort Huachuca, Arizona. And I had, I would need to learn a lot, as much as I possibly could, before reporting to my first unit, leading soldiers, and really soon deploying to Afghanistan. But, Instead of thinking about all of those reasons why we, why we shouldn't do it, why we didn't have time to do it, we instead focused on why we had to make it a reality and why we had to make time for it. And so um, I'd like to share a series of lessons that, that we've learned so far in Sword and Plow. And the first lesson I have to share is from this, and that is to have confidence in your ideas. And instead of you're telling yourself why you shouldn't make time for something, why you, shouldn't, why, why you don't have time for something that you really care about. Instead, try telling yourself that you're just not making it a priority, and then see what happens. So for the next five months, I worked on my thesis. I spent a lot of time learning as much as I possibly could from my ROTC instructors. And we built the frameworks for Sword and Plow. Just after graduating, though, I realized that we were really going to need a dedicated period of time to fully focus on this idea if we wanted to make it a reality. Um, the only problem was that I was supposed to be at Fort Huachuca, Arizona, just one week after graduating from college in Vermont, and that was not going to be a significant chunk of time. And so um, I knew I needed to try to see if there was any way I could I could postpone my active duty start date. And I tried not to think about how impossible I thought it would be for an organization as large as the US Army to make an exception for one person. Um, and instead, I worked with my amazing professor of military science, Lieutenant Colonel Mike Palazza, um, who helped me make that happen. And what really helped is that he had a really warm spot in his heart for, for entrepreneurs, which I had no idea. And it turns out that when he was a second lieutenant stationed in northern Alaska, he had a business idea, which was to make fleece-lined jockstraps. <laughs> <laughs> and so you never know, you never know um, what someone's connection to, to this community might be. <laughs> But 
that time really allowed me to participate in the Dell Social Innovation Lab, which was uh, a multiple week incubator program where 16 students from around the world came and they helped us cultivate our ideas. And, and that was really um, where Sword and Plow got its legs and grew a lot. We thought of the name for the business. We, we immersed ourselves in design thinking workshops. Um, and we uh, learned about crowdfunding for the first time, which was hugely important to our launch. It was also during this time that we started to build our board of advisors. And, and that is um, something that has been really helpful to our business. We realized that quickly there were a lot of areas in our business from supply chain management to sourcing to, to retail that we just didn't have any experience in. And we thought, you know, wouldn't it be amazing if we could develop a group of people that we could go to to ask for advice from. And so this was perfect because Dell was bringing in leaders um, from education, philanthropy, business, retail. And so I thought, this is the perfect place. And so one day, uh, we were having lunch with David Bornstein, who's a New York Times columnist and the author of How to Change the World, Social Entrepreneurship and the Power of New Ideas. So after we had lunch, I asked him if he would consider being on Sword and Plow's Board of Advisors. And I was really nervous to do this because I held him in such high regard. And I didn't, I was nervous because I felt like I was asking a lot. But what's really interesting is that in every instance, when we've asked someone for help or when we've asked someone to be on our Board of Advisors, in every instance, they said yes. And so, we've realized that people want to help each other. People want to pay it forward. And that has, been, that has been incredible. And so the lesson from this story is to have confidence in your ideas and to seek out mentors. I don't think it's a sign of weakness to ask for help. And, you know, I remember I, I just got out of the Army in January. And when I was in the Army, and still today, soldiers and veterans will often approach me and kind of hesitantly so, and tell me about an entrepreneurial idea that they have. And in every instance, they are fantastic ideas. And I think sometimes we all just need a little bit of encouragement and advice to, to take the first step. So following Dell, uh, the next major sword and plow milestone was the Harvard Business School Pitch for Change competition. Um, just after I reported to Fort Carson, we found out our team had made it as semi-finalists. So we made plans to fly to Boston. Luckily, I got the leave. And we arrived the night just before the pitch. And we were staying in a town called Somerville, about 20 minutes from Harvard. And I was there with our team members, Hike and, and Cully. And uh, there was also a historic blizzard <laughs> happening at this time. So we had almost missed our flight. Luckily, we made it there. And we were just so relieved that, that we even had a chance. And so we landed in Boston. The next morning, we wake up. We're getting ready. I'm in heels and a pantsuit. And we go outside to find a taxi. And there aren't any cars on the road. The road is completely covered in snow. And I thought, OK, well, we could start walking. <laughs> that was not, there was no time. That was not going to happen. And so I wouldn't, I wasn't going to give up. I just kept looking and looking and looking. I was freezing. And then all of a sudden, I saw a snowplow in the distance. So, like a crazy woman in pantsuit and heels, I just start sprinting and I dart for him. 
And I'm knocking on the window, trying to get him to roll it down. I think he thought I was maybe crazy. And then he finally rolls it down. I said, sir, will you please help us? We have 20 minutes in order to get to Harvard Business School for this pitch for our, our idea to turn military surplus into bags in order to empower veteran employment and, and strengthen civil military understanding. And I, was, I don't know if that even came out like that. I was probably like. <sighs> but he, he just smiled at us and told us to jump in. And so Hike, Cully, and I, we piled into his snowplow, and we were en route to Harvard. And then we finally arrived. We're running in. And we ha literally had one minute before it was our turn to go on. And I mean, if that wasn't miraculous, it was miraculous. We won first place in the Audience Choice Award, and we're just blown away to, to see that this community was so excited about this idea. And probably the best part of that whole process was just not even having any time to, to be nervous before the presentation. <laughs> so um, I think the lesson here is one everyone here knows well. You, you can't, in the military, and as a military spouse as well, you can't just give up when the weather conditions aren't ideal. You can't tell your commander when technology is down, sir, ma'am, I'm sorry, but I can't give you an intelligence report. Like, that's not going to fly. And so the lesson is that if you really want something, you just have to find a way, and you can't give up. And that's something that I've certainly learned from my military experience and that I'm really grateful to be able to apply to business. So uh, two months later, Betsy, my, my sister and co-founder Betsy and I were sitting in our parents' home in Carlisle, Pennsylvania, um, counting down the minutes until we could press the green launch button on our Kickstarter campaign. And this was a really important moment to us because it was the moment that our entire team had worked so hard for, for over a year, and would be the moment that would really determine um, kind of the, the future of our, our company, at least in that, in the beginning. So our goal was to raise $20,000 over the course of 30 days so we could fund our first production run. And we weren't sure how it was going to go, but we pressed that launch button and held our breaths. And in two minutes, um, we had our first supporter for one of our signature rucksacks. And then um, in just 20 minutes, we had raised our entire goal of $20,000, and we were just Everyone in our house was shocked. We, we had some of our high school teachers there. We had some local new reporters who were friends there. And everyone was freaking out. I was freaking out. I didn't know, know what to do. And then at the end of the day, we had raised over $53,000 and were even more shocked. And then at the end of the 30-day campaign, we had over 1,500 supporters and had raised over $312,000 and were just overwhelmed. You know, we not only receive the monetary resources that we need to, needed to, to, to start, we received this intense and overwhelming support from a community all over the world, and especially in the US. And this was, this was awesome, because I'm sure many of you know when you're working on a new business idea or any type of idea, and you're working within a team, and you all are so dedicated and so passionate, but you're not sure if it will resonate with other people, to see that type of lightning reaction was so motivating to us. Um, and then, <laughs> two weeks after our Kickstarter campaign ended, 
I was on a plane to southern Afghanistan with the 4th Engineer Battalion. Um, so thank goodness Betsy was uh, the supportive one back in the U.S. running the team. Um, and one of the first care packages I received there in Kandahar was, uh, it had the name Andy on it. And I thought, you know, this probably isn't for me. Maybe they just got the address wrong. And it was from a Vietnam veteran who had heard about our Kickstarter campaign and supported us with a, a rucksack order and wanted to express to me in Afghanistan just how proud of our mission he was. And I was so touched. I, I was sitting there next to my uh, command sergeant major and he thought, probably thought I was a total wuss. I got kind of teary. Inside the package, he had photos of himself as a young pilot. Um, he had this really thoughtful card and he even had some baked goods for, for me to share with my soldiers. Um, and so I was so moved by this. As soon as I got off, I, I um, immediately went to go Skype Betsy. And before I could even show her all this, she was holding up a photo of one of our first Kickstarter supporters carrying her signature tote. And, and it was just such an inspirational day for me sitting there in Kandahar, Afghanistan, to see that our mission that we had just launched was touching people and really building this community um, thousands of miles away was inspirational. Um, and this emphasis on community is really one of the most important lessons that I can share. You know, from, from growing our Facebook page and community and really focusing on, the, on that even before our Kickstarter launch to the incredibly supportive crowdfunding response uh, to our supporters, customers, and brand champions who really, truly champion our brand. You know, that, what Sword and Pile is today is because of this community. And um, that community, like I mentioned before, is something that was ingrained in us as military kids and, and again, uh, in the Army. And that level of pride and excitement really motivated our team a little over a year ago to launch a brand champion program where, where we could recognize that energy and that support and reward our best supporters um, through a program um, where they could earn sales commissions and join our team and a, a passionate and supportive community. So the opportunity the brand champion program provides is really important to me personally because I'm an entrepreneur who started this company as a side hustle. You know, I was serving on active duty until, you know, January of this year. I didn't start fully running the company until this year. And so I know that for many entrepreneurs, it can be really difficult to just drop everything and, and run with a new idea. Sometimes you have to carve out specific times of the day to, to work on something and grow and nurture it until you can, um, you can sustain it full time. And so, the Brand Champion program really allows individuals to, to hone certain skills like sales and, and, have, and marketing and have flexible part-time income, um, and to have a supportive community to share best practices with. Um, so in short, they receive all the great benefits of, of being an entrepreneur and starting their own business while having the support of an established company that um, I hope they're proud to be part of. So yeah, and I know there are a number of Brand Champions here today. So that's really, really exciting to us. The next lesson I have is one that I hope you all definitely remember. Um, 
And that lesson is don't take yourself too seriously and never lose your sense of humor. So there have been countless, countless instances in uh, Sword and Plow's journey where we've been put in situations where we could, uh, where it could have been either really embarrassing or downright hilarious. And so, um, for example, in 2015, I, I was training to attend ranger school. And I was training with these three incredible individuals, um, three special forces weapons sergeants at 10 special forces group. And we were training twice a day for this. And I was just constantly sore. Um, I might not have been doing it right. But I, had, I learned so much from them. And I also gained about 15 pounds of muscle in the process. And the culminating event before heading off to Benning to, to go try out for ranger school was shaving my head. Um, and at the time, I think I had hair down to my elbow. And you know, I'd always had long hair. It was kind of part of my, my identity in a way. Um, but uh, I went. Unfortunately, I didn't make it. But even having the opportunity to try was incredible. And I learned so much in the process. Um, about a week later, Betsy was going to be speaking in Tampa in front of 1,000 people. And uh, when they found out I was available now, uh, they invited me to join. <laughs> and at first, I was a little self-conscious about being on stage in front of 1,000 people with almost no hair. But then I thought a little bit more about this. And I wasn't going to let a little thing like hair get in the way of my goals. So. <laughs> Um, <laughs> it was, it was kind of tough though, so, <laughs> but even before the event, uh, there were some photos shown on the slides before we, we, we went on and the photos had Betsy and myself and, um, long hair and smiling and, and before we went on, I was walking with Betsy and meeting people and everyone kept asking, oh, and, and what's your relation to Sword and Plow? I was like, yeah. and, uh, so I, when it was our turn to go up, I, uh, I decided to, I was wearing heels, and I decided to go with a sleeveless dress so I could really rock my biceps and my new buzz cut. And, uh, you know, I did have to explain before we be began our talk that uh, I was, in fact, Betsy's sister and, and the co-founder of Sword and Plow. But, um, yeah, on a similar note, uh, <laughs> Later that year, we were invited to the, the chief of staff of the Army's holiday party, and we were so excited to attend. So we flew to DC, and we were, we were getting ready in the hotel and trying to rush out to, to make it there on time. Didn't want to be late, of course. And then right before we got in the cab, I told Betsy, oh my gosh, I don't know, I don't know if I can go. I realized something terrible. My hair was out of regulation. And I couldn't meet the sergeant major of the army out of regs. I mean, come on, that's, that's a pretty big no-no. And uh, keep in mind, at the time, I was still kind of getting used to all the short hair regs, so that, that was kind of new to me. But I started to worry. I was like, what am I going to do? And before I could even spend another moment worrying, Betsy returned from the hotel's front desk with a pair of scissors. <laughs> And I think the last time we cut each other's hair was when we were six and chopped each other's bangs off. And so that day, though, I really welcomed the sisterly haircut. Um, and I'm so glad that, that she was really pragmatic about it all and, 
instead of focusing on, on the problem. And so when we arrived, I actually even got a compliment from the CSM on my, my ranger cut, so that was pretty cool. <laughs> but here aside, I think every day, all of us, we, are, we have situations where we can either decide to be really serious and worried sometimes, or be flexible, adaptable, and even laugh at ourselves. So I really urge you all to, to find humor in those situations. Uh, the final uh, lesson I have is figuring out how to answer the question, how can I change the world, or how can you change the world? And I think the answer is to first think about the skills that you possess or want to learn and are excited about. And next, think about the community or the cause that, that you really care about most. And then finally, ask yourself, how can I leverage my skills and talents to improve this community or cause. I've taught and mentored college students who really struggle with this, this question. I think everyone deep in their hearts probably wants to help improve the world, I hope. And I tried to show them that it doesn't have to be a really complex answer. I think the most important part is taking the time to, to have self-reflection and think about what you really care about, and what really makes you come alive. Um, I mean, all of you here today are already improving and, and changing the world, so I don't, I don't need to spend much time here. Um, I also encourage you to try to think about your military experience, whether you're a veteran or a military spouse, as your first business incubator. I think, I don't know if we recognize this enough, but during the time we served in the military or supported a family member during their service, we learned so many of the skills that the best business schools today are teaching, like leadership and negotiation and time management um, and team building. And so that, that's invaluable experience that we should really be proud of. And I think I'd like to end by just uh, telling you that, uh, so since getting out of the Army in January, a lot of people ask me, well, do you miss the Army? And you know, in many ways I do, yeah. You can't replicate jumping out of a helicopter at 3 a.m. with some of your closest battle buddies in business. I mean, it's just, you just can't do that. But what I tell people and truly believe is that, yes, I do miss the Army, but you know what? I'm still surrounded by those same people. And veterans and military spouses are applying lessons they learned in their communities to make, to make their communities and the world a better place. And I don't think whether or not we have a uniform on or whether or not our spouse still has a uniform on changes our desire at all to want to, uh, to show our level of commitment and teamwork and to really change the world. So, and not only that, but to be part of something much larger than ourselves. And I think all of us today are, are showing that or are examples of that. Um, I am just so honored to be here with you all at this conference. And I can't wait to meet you all. So thank you very much for this opportunity. Thank you so much, Emily, for your story and the lessons. We're just going to take a few minutes for a Q&A with Emily. We have a roving mic uh, right here. So if you have a question, just go ahead, stand up, and we'll get you a microphone.
Hi. <laughs> Thank you. Um, what did you find was helpful to overcome your fear in any way, like whether it be to like start your business to launch, press the go button, or you know, throughout your business journey, you know, you everybody comes to those points where it's like you, you get stuck by fear, stuck by fear. Yeah. So, do you have any tips for how what made you get through that? Sure. Um, you know, I think on a, a guttural level, just asking yourself, well, what do I have to lose? If, if I never started, I, of course there would have been anything. Actually, if I would never started, I would have had everything to lose. I would have, had the, I would have lost the opportunity to, to make this amazing community around something that I'm so passionate about. Um, and so, as you're starting and as you get going, asking yourself, well, what do I have to lose? Nothing. You know, you have everything to gain. And then on a much more practical level, I think we learned a lot at the, the Dell Social Innovation Lab before we started. We met a lot of co-founders uh, there who shared their experiences, and especially about crowdfunding and about funding your business. And we, we asked we ask them a ton of questions. And I think learning about their Kickstarter campaigns and their crowdfunding campaigns um, and learning that, I think a lot of times when we have ideas, we get so excited and we want to launch it right away, but it's okay to take time to really develop the idea until you're ready and it's okay to wait till you're ready to launch it. That was really helpful for us because that enabled us to really build a community before we launched on Kickstarter and to learn from other Kickstarter campaigns about uh, raising awareness through press and things like that. Um, uh, yeah. And also, if there's any way that Betsy and I can help any of you in what you're doing, please come and reach out to us because we've had a lot of support along our journey and we'd love to, to help others from our experiences. Sure. You have any more questions? What did you learn about the Kickstarter uh, campaign that folks that haven't used it yet, or any of those other crowdsourcing? What's, a, what's the tricks of the trade? Sure. Well, there's a, there's a lot to it. I think um, Betsy and I, we've uh, had a lot of um, people who are starting businesses contact us right before they're about to launch on Kickstarter, and they ask us that question, like, what are the tricks to the trade? I'm about to launch in a week. How can you help me? And we're like, oh, man, I wish you came to us six months ago or a year ago. And that's my, my best piece of advice. Start preparing far in advance before you want to launch. And go to networking events like this. Go to conferences where you can help spread the word and generate awareness before you even press that green launch button. And I'd be, I'd be happy to, I could talk about that for hours, so I'd be happy to tell you more. Awesome. We still have time for a couple more questions. Anyone else out there? Yes. <laughs> Hello, I'm Lacey. We met last night. Um, I was first going to ask you how it is working with dirty, rotten legs, but, you know, being airborne and all. <laughs> but um, my dad used to call me that as a child. So, um, <laughs> yes. but... Um, so, but I really wanted to know, in the beginning, how did you start out with like balancing and putting boundaries on 
free stuff and getting your stuff out there, you know, because at some point you get all freed out, you know, you want to get it out there and share it with people. And so maybe sometimes you're giving away samples and I could see that might be a problem with all of your beautiful products. So did you have a problem in the beginning, like balancing that? That's an interesting question. Um, and at first I thought you were going to ask me, how do I keep a balance on my free time and, and business, which is a, another great question. Um, well, actually, that wasn't something we, we specifically had to worry about a lot in the beginning because we waited to kind of start our business until we launched on Kickstarter. So that was um, the first moment, the first thing. Um, yeah, but, you know, now today there's a lot of opportunities for things like press or influencers. And, um, yeah, I think that's just like a judgment call. Um, and then with... <laughs> What I thought the question was, trying to have boundaries and uh, have free time. I think that's something that probably a lot of us struggle with, trying to, you know, you're, we're so excited and passionate about our businesses and our ideas, so how, sometimes it's hard to turn that off and say, okay, I'm going to relax now, or I'm going to spend time with my family. Um, and so that's something that I'm working on, and I think um, trying to set boundaries and say, you know, I'm gonna I'm gonna focus on other things right now. It's really important. Sure. All right, time for one more question. Who has it? Way in the back, back there. Uh, so you had talked a lot about, you know, a team that you had when you first started and then a big support network and then having a co-founder who kind of stepped in when you had to take some time away from the business. How do you guys in the co-founder relationship keep that a healthy and successful? I know it's probably unique for you guys because you're siblings, but what are some things that you guys do to keep that a healthy and successful relationship? That's a great question. Um, you know, Betsy and I spent a ton of time together, probably even, maybe even more than, than when we were kids. Uh, and so, I think, so actually before we even launched, one of the things we did was we made a, a sister contract and really thought about what we needed to do to make sure our sister and family relationship didn't, um, didn't, uh, didn't ever waver. Um, in the face of our business. And so that was one thing we did. And then we also make time on the weekends and, and sometimes at night to say, okay, we are not going to talk about Sword and Plow right now, and we are just going to be sisters. Um, and so I think really um, being mindful about that and cutting out blocks of time when you're really focused on, on having a different type of relationship with that person. Awesome. Well, thank you so much one more time. Give it up for Emily from Jordan Cloud. Thank you.